business and people. Your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Welcome to the Agency Bud podcast. On the show, we talk to CEOs and founders, agency owners and business people about the challenges they've overcome and the steps they've taken to get to where they are. You can follow along at podcast.agencybud.com. On the show, we're going to be talking to somebody amazing. We're going to introduce that person in just a second. Don't forget to check out agencybud.com. Add in our software to your business and increase your recurring revenue with agencybud.com. Let's go and meet today's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm excited. Today on our show, we have someone who's normally on the other side of the microphone. She is the host or the co-host of the Straight Talk Social Bee podcast, which has got a massive following. She is the CEO of Social Bee, an international marketing agency based in Cambridge in the UK. Now, to be able to short shorten the list of our special guests' achievements will still take me ages, but I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> For the, last 12, for the last 12 years, she's run Social B, which have had incredible clients such as car groups like Aston Martin, my dream car, thanks very much. She's worked with other car groups as well. She's even worked with the United Nations. She's worked in the finance space with, with Lloyds Bank. She's worked in the health space. She's t- uh, delivered speeches all over the world, including to the NBC Universal International Marketing Summit. She's spoken in New York, New Orleans. She's even spoken at the online conference with over 100,000 registered attendees. She's nothing short of spectacular, and it's my pleasure to welcome her to the show. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Lindsay Swells, everyone. Thank you, Walt. That's very kind. I'm almost going red. Like that's a big introduction for just a normal human being. It's so well deserved, though. It's so well deserved. Now, I'm I'm looking back through your history. You've been involved in marketing. You've been involved in kind of brand creation. You've been involved in e-commerce. You've been involved in uh, teaching these skills for 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 quite some time. Can I go back right to the start, Lindsay? How did you get into this field? Now, I need to let you into a bit of a secret, Walt. I never actually wanted to do digital marketing. My career aim (laughs) um, was to go in the army. There you go. (laughs) um, So it's, you know, I never had any passion for digital marketing. Unfortunately, I'm old enough that digital marketing wasn't really around when I was born. So I'm sort of disclosing my age now. I'm, you know, I'm 40 years old and digital marketing has come about through my career. So if you're happy for me to canter through it very quickly, more than love to. to. Absolutely. There's there's no better marketing organization than the the armed forces. Who gets people to sign up, march in a line for the potential of getting shot? That's a marketing campaign that is just absolutely on point. So you maybe picked up some skills there. But yeah, no, I'd love to hear. They didn't let me in. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. So, so let's just, let's rewind a little bit. So when I left school at 16, I literally just had GCSE. So literally school qualifications. I'm not that academic. I have no interest in like learning or going to university because I have no real drive for that. What I have a real passion for is practical skills and really adding value to things and really giving my best effort. So it's probably one I wanted, why I wanted to go in the army. They didn't let me in the army, not because I definitely didn't want to go in. I absolutely did. But I failed the fitness test because I fractured my spine on my horse when I was 15. So although I could pass the fitness tests, the um, the mental, sorry, not the mental, the medical, like would have, they just put a cross beside my name. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So my mum said, Lindsay, over the summer holidays, pay for yourself to learn to touch type, which is, you know, QWERTY keyboard stuff. Nice. Okay. That was good advice, mum. 
Yeah, very good advice. And still now is a fantastic um, asset to have. So paid to do that over the summer holidays. Then I ended up working in the offshore industry. So I was a reporting secretary for a few years, got my offshore survival. So I actually have some qualifications in offshore survival and firefighting. Not that that helps in today's digital market. I'm not sure about so, that. There's probably a link there somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, probably at the moment. So I did that for a couple of years, really enjoyed it. Um, and then I, what happened then? I then did a couple of admin based jobs. So it was very admin, but because I worked offshore, um, I had to fix things. So I learned how to fix computers and was just sort of, you had to become self-sufficient. You couldn't ring someone and say, how do I do this? How do I do that in the middle of the North Sea? So just became very self-sufficient and would always, well, let's just try and see if this works out. So I did that for a few years, then went and got another admin job, then went to work in an agency again, just receptionist. So, so really important job, but but just sort of bobbing along. And then um, I also at that time did an executive secretarial diploma. So something you probably wouldn't do today, but something I did at the time. And the lady who taught me that, she was approached by another company and said, we're looking for someone that can manage our IT team, um, set up an IT department, and is just really good at rolling their sleeves up and getting on with it. So I went and took a job with a company where I was employee number three. Helped them um, with their IT systems, their CRM systems. Again, had no qualifications, but was just, if you give me something, give me a problem, I will go away and find the answer. So did that for a company for a few years. And that was probably where my digital marketing started because they were advertising in a newspaper, a well-known newspaper in the UK once a week. I think they were probably spending, I don't know, 500 pounds at the time. This was in 2001, I think, so many years ago. So they were, they were advertising in a newspaper once a week and they were generating 100 leads. Mm. And I was like, well, OK, well, that seems to work. They had a website um, and the website, I was like, they could really be doing more with their website. And again, I had no real marketing experience, but I just put the customer shoes on and thought, well, if I was looking, I'd probably start searching on the Internet for things. So I went to the um, very entrepreneurial guys. There was three amazing guys that I have a lot to owe for for today, where I am in my career. And said, can you just give me a, you know, give me a little bit of money and give me a little bit of time to help improve your online marketing. And they basically let me run with it. That's and so to cut a long story short, over that 10-year period, I had a lot of training. Um, I'm really blessed with the training I had with that company. I've had Clem Balanchard training, Dale Carnegie training, leadership training, training from Andy Bounds, the amazing guy that was on my podcast recently. So I had a lot of training invested in me in to help me develop my own personal career. But on the flip side of that, I gave them 110%. And over that 10-year period, I took them from advertising in the newspaper to being the largest of their organization in the UK and the most successful. So they were they went from like £100,000 worth of revenue a month to £120 million through me doing online wow. marketing. So I did SEO for them, PPC, social media. We also did events um, and it was all around education, which is still really important now, isn't it? Well, because you think yeah, about if you give, give oodles of content, oodles of value, people will come, will come to you. So we yeah. were doing three face-to-face educational free events a month in the UK. We'd go wow. down north, um, down south for a month and do three events down there and then go up north. So through all of that, um, I was lucky enough to become marketing and IT director for that company and just really help them to become the best organization in the UK and the most successful. So that took me to 2008, where recession hit in the UK and we had to make some really awful decisions in terms of cutting our team, 
and we had no we had no products to sell so fundamentally i was made redundant took voluntary redundancy and as we were just chatting before this recording um i was going to move to australia i hadn't quite hit 30 yet my husband and i just had a lifetime world of a lifetime trip out to australia for five weeks and we fell in love with the place still pine for it today so then started our visa process. But in doing so, companies who'd seen how I'd made that company very successful reached out to me and said, oh, we can see you're not working. Can you come and help us with our digital marketing and our PR and stuff? So started freelancing. And off the back of that, um, Social B has organically grown to what it is today. That is Which a very is, shortcut version of. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm amazed by by the by the self-taught. I'm also impressed by the roll up the sleeves and just you know, hey, I don't know how this works. Let's find out and let's get into it. So then, I guess you've more moved into a, a more formal teaching and learning role, as you know, you've done lots of study with with, with Google. You've done lots of um, you know up to speed training with all of the the different things that have come across. Is self-education still a major part of what you do or have you kind of morphed past that? Uh, what, myself in self-education? Yeah. Um, no, I'm still always learning. Um, I always say to, to myself and my team, you have to learn every single day. And I think that's one of the things that sets up a part, us apart when actually we're looking to recruit. We insist that people have to do at least two hours learning every single week in our company. It's wow. class of CPD in a formal organization. So if yep. you work in like a formal institute or a formal industry, you have to do 40 hours of CPD a month, um, a year, don't you? But in digital, that isn't required. And I mm. think it's really, really bad that businesses don't potentially do that because you'll know if you work in digital marketing, it's always changing. Definitely. So we make sure we have like a formal way of, of uh, framework that we use for our team, but I'm always learning and I'm always into podcasts. Podcasts are the best thing to be learning all the time because you don't know yeah. what you don't know. No, true. And it makes it so easy to consume that as well. How many people in social be now? Like what, what's your, how many people in the team? There's about, um, in total, there's about 20 of us, I think. There's about cool. 20 of us in total. And uh, so you started 2008 kind of freelancing, as you mentioned. How quick was that first hire? Um, it's a good question. Um, if I'm exact, I can't remember. But the way Social Bee started, it was, it was just me. Um, and I started to use online systems. So one of my favorite systems that I still use today is teamwork. Um, it's basically an online system that I can log my own time and just keep a task list of everything. And when I started to get too busy, I then looked out to other people that could help me in a freelance basis. And Cheryl uh, is a freelancer and she still freelances for us today. She still loves working with us and we still love working for us. The majority of our team are absolutely employed. But when we find those gems of freelancers that want to remain freelance, then obviously we'll have them on the trip. So I think yeah. probably... Cheryl probably started with me in the within the first year. We, we sort of organically got to a stage where I was like, oh, I can't do all this on my own. I want someone else to, to help. Um, yeah. And so we started getting freelancers involved before we took on our first hire. And then I think our first hire was in maybe, it's a big step first hire because I was working from home. And if you have your first hire, I then wanted to be in an office with them. So I think it was probably about year three. Wow. three was probably our first hire. So you've gone then from, uh, you know, as, you, as you've gone through that, that story, um, self-taught into that role, into a management position kind of by force in the, the IT and, and marketing space. Uh, now you're running your own show. You've got to write a paycheck, right? And that's a big change <laughs> for a lot of us as we've, as we've opening up businesses. You go from earning a paycheck to writing a paycheck. And, you know, I'm sure there was weeks and months as there's always been for everyone where they've earned more than you have. But what, when... As you've gone through that transition, Lindsay, what were, the, what were the shortcomings that you found from putting on the CEO hat? What did you have to go, oh, my God, I didn't even realize 
that that needed to be learned? What were the skills that you needed to brush up on? Um, I think I was incredibly lucky because of all the training I had in my previous employed role. So much as that has really helped today. But even back then, obviously, I hadn't been a leader before. So I had a team of sometimes up to 20 people in that company. So I, I used a lot of those skills. And I've always worn the hat of I would always want to treat my team how I want to be treated. So very transparent, very honest, very empathetic, but also sort of firm but fair. So I, I was lucky enough to have a lot of those advantages from my previous employed role. And I definitely brought them with me and just sort of looked at the figures. Because I think the point you've made is a really good one. Like right, going from freelance to writing your first paycheck is not an easy decision. And I say to people today, if you're thinking of setting up a business and there's loads of people setting up businesses now because they're being made redundant like I was all that time ago, it's exciting. And I always think recessions are a really good time to set up a business because the competitors are not looking at what's news coming to the market. They're too busy looking at what they should be doing internally. Mm. But I would always say when you start to freelance or when you think about your business, do you, what do you want to get out of it? Do you want it to be a lifestyle business or do you want to grow it to do something else? And I sort of ended up accidentally, like I had no, I never want to set up a business. That was never my, my plan. <laughs> my husband and I had worked really hard where we worked and we wanted to go and bum around Australia, just working in bars and we'd given everything 110%. But I'm really blessed with the opportunity I had and I didn't want to, didn't want to give up that opportunity because I would always yeah. be thinking, what if? So I would say to people, what I sort of accidentally ended up doing is, do I just stay doing work myself and you can earn a really significant amount of money if you just stay doing stuff yourself and freelance but mm. you don't get paid sick you don't get paid to go on you know when you're on holiday I was when we first started out I was doing all the hours under the sun and so I wasn't really having a break and I thought I want to be in a position where I don't just want it to be me yes I can earn the money but I want to be able to have time on holiday I want to potentially be able to have time off to have a child which I've been lucky enough to have now but it's almost making that decision. The earlier you can think that's what I'm aiming for, it helps you then make decisions in what direction to take your business. Even now, you know, we all have days as, as employers thinking, actually, if it was just me, would it be easier? Absolutely. And then I rewind and go, no, you know, I have an amazing <laughs> team around me and I wouldn't change it for the world. But there are, there's always difficult decisions and, and you know, that's sometimes part I think, of life, should I have done I it with someone else? Yeah, should yeah. I have done it with someone else? Should I be on my own? you know it's not an easy ride it really isn't but it's not an easy ride for for anybody and if anyone says oh yeah it's a piece of cake they are lying <laughs> they probably lie about other things as well so how do you go about um now now you've grown the team you, you obviously have systems and processes in place how do you go about attracting new talent do you headhunt do you advertise formally what's your process there um, it's a good question. It depends on what's going on in the market. Um, given what's going on in the market, there are lots of people emailing us. Um, we also generally have people emailing us anyway. We, um, we haven't done so much on Instagram recently because we haven't been together, but we're very, we're very passionate about looking after our team. So it isn't just about come and work for a company where you can work with some of the biggest companies in the world. Our culture is very focused on well-being and being transparent and offering progression. So we really focus on that because a lot of our team are in their 20s and people think, oh, they just want to come to work and do a job. They absolutely don't. They want to make a difference to the company mm. that they work for and know that that company is going to look after their well-being because a lot of people have mental health issues and we're not frightened by that. You know, people yeah. are very open and honest about it. So we, we definitely put that front and center in terms of on our website. Um, so we are lucky enough to have people apply for jobs with us. Um, we do headhunt occasionally um, if there is someone that we're particularly looking for. 
Um, and we do use websites occasionally. So we will use recruitment agencies and we will use recruitment websites sometimes. Are you, are you always available for the right person? Even if you haven't got a position, somebody comes up and they just blow the doors off. Are you, are you going to make a spot for them? We will always have a chat with them. Absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. I love it. We'll always, always I think it's amazing them. that you've got to the point where people are emailing you to come and work for you. I mean, to, to most businesses, that's a dream come true in itself, where you're, act, you're actually been able to achieve the position where people are coming to you saying, I want to work for you. I think that's, a, that's an incredible testament to what you've been able to achieve there. Some of these brands that you've worked with, Lindsay, have been pretty amazing like I was reading through your client list going this is like the who's who that it's pretty cool what was what was the shock one that you you won the deal to work with x company and oh my god everything else has changed since then everyone's a shock (laughs) you know we're such a small company we're such a small company and we you know we're so incredibly blessed I have no you know, I, as a company, my main aim is to create a great place to work. I have no, um, no drive to work with the biggest companies in the world. Those companies have come to us. You know, some of the companies you've mentioned, they've come to us. We haven't gone to them. Mm. They have found us online because we practice what we preach. We focus on the customer in all of our marketing. And every single one of those, I go, wow, we are so lucky. Mm. So it, even now, you know, we are lucky enough that, you know, I train for Google's largest clients. We have Aston Martin. We work with Bacardi. You know, we, we're lucky enough to have had that. But it's, I, I still pinch myself every day because there are massive agencies out there that, that charge probably 10 times as much as us. But we just focus on being a little boutique agency doing amazing work. And because we do that, those companies come to us. So I'm still, I still pinch myself every day when those companies inquire with us and say it. yes to us versus some of the other companies. I'm going to come back to that because I really want to dig into that just a little bit. But who was your first one? Who was the, can you remember the first client that you went, wow, I've got a client? Uh, my first client, my first big client or just my first client? Your first client, the first one that you, you said, I'm on my own and this is it. Um, you branding first, with the business card that you've got a letterhead and an invoice. Now you've yeah, got somebody my, that's paying the bills. My first clients were two that I knew. So one was Garrington, um, a very well-respected property finding company in the UK. And the other one was Totally Dynamic, a vehicle wrapping company. Nice. And both of those people had seen how I'd grown where, I'd in, where I was employed. They'd seen what success I'd created for that company. And they hadn't been, neither of those companies had been affected by the recession. And they both had real drive to want to grow. And they didn't really know how to do it online. So they both reached out to me and said, look, Lindsay, we know you're not, you know, they all, those two companies almost made me go freelance. I wasn't going to go freelance. And those are the two companies that made me think we need to set up a business. And those were the first two companies that started paying, like me sending invoices to them. Love it. I love it. Now, I, I did say I wanted to dig into these companies approaching you. You mentioned that you practice what you preach. And I'm really, I'm super thrilled to hear that um, because, you know, you're marketing yourself, you're marketing social B. And doing what you're then encouraging your clients to be doing. Tell me about the process of that. What's your, uh, what's your absolute must get done in terms of promoting Social B as a marketing agency out there on the web? So what are the things that, you, that absolutely have to be ticked every week, every month that get done in terms of content, in terms of getting that message out there? So my absolute must is do not sell. <laughs> Okay. Might sound a bit weird, cool. but do not sell because as soon as you start selling online, whether that's saying, come and do this, come and do that, it just turns people off. So mm. on the flip side of that, my must, and we've actually ramped this up 100% during COVID, is give oodles of value. Give oodles of value and valuable content that people go, 
wow, this company really know what they're doing. I want to go and use them. That is what wins us business. So we do that in terms of SEO. So we understand what people are searching for and what intent they have. And we're at the top of Google and other search engines for that. We are social media. We've also gotten into um, free webinars. So we've been doing free webinars for a number of years and Mm. that we've just, you know, ramped that up and we work with partners on that as well. Um, we do a lot of blog content this year. We've really wrapped up our video content and our podcast content and through all of that and talking at conferences, obviously I get asked to talk at a lot of conferences and it's when conferences ask you to speak, obviously they're always nervous of, are you going to sell or are you going to give value? I always focus on giving value and thinking about who's the audience, what bit of value can I give them that they can go, wow, I can actually action that in my business. And actually if I can't, or I need help, that's the person I want to go and speak to about it. Mm. That is my pretense of how we market our business. Do you do the same thing for your clients? So, you know, we're taking some of these amazing brand names that we're looking at there. Is it the same framework that you put in place for them? Fundamentally, yes. Obviously, it does differ because we're sort of lead generation because Social Bee is made up of 50% doing digital marketing for national and international businesses and 50% training open courses and in-house courses, obviously online at the moment, Um, but fundamentally the same. So we're all about performance. So we will not work with a client or train a client if we don't know what their actual outcome that they want to achieve is. Mm. Um, And when we know what that is, we can work backwards from there. So we can, and we will do obviously paid aspects, but too many businesses use social media and SEO and come and buy our product today. It's not always about that. It's about the whole journey. So from from your largest addressable audience that has no intent to your addressable audience that has raging intent to, you know, wanting to buy a widget today, you need to be there on that whole journey. So that's what we do for clients and clients fundamentally come to us because they know we get that because they've heard us or they've seen that we do it online ourselves Mm. and they might've been doing it in house and they they're struggling for resource or they don't have um, the digital, you know, the digital learnings that we have, or they've had experience of, Other agencies, and unfortunately, a lot of agencies, there's a lot of people in our industry that do amazing work. But there's also some agencies in our industry that that charge a lot and don't deliver and just muddle through with technical jargon and bombard people with technical jargon and think, yeah, they know what they're doing and give agencies a bad name. So we often end up picking clients going, we really need an agency, but we've had lots of bad experience. So we almost have to do double the work to put our put the industry right and deliver the work as well. But fundamentally, mm. it's all based on very similar framework. So do not sell and deliver value. And obviously, it's keeping the books full. Are you seeing a, a steady growth curve even in these crazy times? Um, I'm not going to lie. It's not been an easy couple of years, especially in the UK. Brexit did affect us last year Mm. um, because we don't just do stuff in the UK. We do a lot of stuff internationally. And when Brexit was announced, I think it was last March, the results, um, we saw a bit of a bumpy period on the training side, but then it came back and and things were fantastic. Um, And we were typically we double our revenue every single year. And we've been doing that for the last for the last uh, since 2008. this year started off amazing. Then COVID hit us like a, like a train crash. Um, and, but we were very agile. All our systems are online. So we were on the front foot. So we already went into remote working before lockdown happened and we were proactively reaching out to our training clients and saying, we do training online. Let's just move it from face to face to online. So we were very agile in that. And our training team did an amazing job of keeping most of our clients there. And on the retained side, we proactively reached out to all of our clients and said, look, this is what's happening let's have a chat because even though we have contracts in place for six months, 12 months, you know, I have a moral compass and my moral compass is I'm not going to make people pay their contracts if their business needs to go on 
a holiday for a couple of months. So yeah. we proactively reached out to all of our clients. Some were having the best months of their lives. Some were like, no, we need to stop altogether. Mm. Um, and some of them have, some of them are continued, but we picked up an awful lot of business during COVID because we literally ramped up all of our marketing to help businesses. Morally, I, I wanted to help as many businesses as possible, whether they were small or large. And, you know, we've trained a huge amount of businesses during COVID for free, majority of with webinars and live streams and all stuff like that. And we did it because I wanted to do it to help businesses during difficult times, especially face-to-face retail. You know, they've really suffered and tourism. But the bonus of that is we've generated a huge amount of business. So we, are, so cool. we are incredibly lucky. That's so cool, Lindsay. I love the message of that as well. Um, can I ask you a fun question? This is something that I've, I've really enjoyed uh, asking a few guests over the, over the last few weeks. If we, if we had that magic time capsule, you and I are in the same era. So let's talk back to the future, the DeLorean, you know, 88 miles an hour. And we went back to October last year. And now you're there knowing that lockdown and COVID was going to happen in March of 2020. So you're in October, you've got, you know, five, six months to prepare. What would you do differently as a business, knowing what you know now? How would you prepare? What would you do to ensure that you could ride that storm out? Um. Well, that would be a lovely place to be, wouldn't it, to have known that's going to happen. Um, I think we're incredibly lucky. All of our systems are remote already. So Mm -hmm. in terms of the upheaval for the company, it really was absolutely minimal. I've got an amazing team around me. They were very open and honest. and I was very open and honest to them. So there'd be nothing to change there, I think, from that side of things. Um, We are always very proactive with our clients. So I think what we would have done if we were known that was going to happen is we would have sat down with each of our clients and said, right, okay, let's look at the opportunities and threats for each situation we have Um, because what I did is like March this year, I literally planned out like six different scenarios. We would have probably done the same with the clients because a lot of the clients that we saw in March didn't know like, should we ramp up our marketing? Should we stop it? We have a huge amount of data and insight so we can look at that every day. So we would have been using that in October and saying, right, these are the options. This is what we would be guiding you to do because a lot of our clients were looking to us to know what to do, what not to do. And they trust us because they know we're not here just taking money off them. It's all about Mm. performance and getting profitable return on investment. So I think that's probably what we'd do. Cool. So the reason I ask that in my follow-up question is I don't think we're anywhere near the end of this, by the way. Uh, I think we've got more pain to be felt. I think we've got uh, this personal opinion, of course. Um, So let's take that planning the next six months out. Knowing that we're going to be still swirling around this whole COVID lockdown scenario, what should businesses be doing now? To, to help them prepare, to help them with their marketing, to help with customer attraction, customer retention? What should businesses be doing now to prepare for the next six months of this? Um, the most important thing I think they should be doing is not waiting for things to come back to normal because I'm with yeah. you what, like, this is normal now. Like, yep. I can't see things changing. In the UK, we've got a mass recession, so things are going to get a lot worse, and we definitely haven't seen the worst of this yet because a lot of people are being paid furlough money, so there's a huge amount of jobs being lost the high street is going to be different forever. So I think the one bit of advice I would give is don't wait for things to come back because they're not going to come back. Really think about your online marketing and put your customer shoes on. Look back at what's happened over the last few months and see how you're, you know, some people's customers have changed completely. Um, Some people have been using things differently. Even Amazon, you know, Amazon wasn't able to cope with what was going on because they really wanted to focus on the important things to getting them. So the click, you know, the one click thing, they were shutting that down for a lot of things. So people were looking in other directions. So I'd really use data. Yeah. You know, 
we never when I started working in digital marketing in 2001 we didn't have half the data that we have access to now there's a huge amount of tools google search console google trends exploding topics there is a huge amount of data that we have access to so I'll be watching my customers and their intent and what they're looking for and how they're looking for like an absolute hawk and I'll be building my business around that and being agile Nice. And being digital. I mean, obviously getting the message yeah. of whatever you're doing. There are, there are businesses, we both know this, that, that just can't go digital. You can't be a hairdresser or you can't be a, you know, a lot of the, the, the physical businesses have, have had to close the doors on that strategy. But if you have the opportunity to move digital, don't wait. As you're saying, I think, you know, that's, that'd be a mistake to be sitting there twiddling the thumb saying, it's all going to be okay next week. It's not. Let's, let's move and let's be agile with that as well. So Lindsay, as, as you've had the opportunity to, to then take your message to some of the biggest stages in the world, you've been able to talk about business and about marketing. What is, what's the subject that you love the most? You, the, the room's alive, the stage is set, you're about to walk on and it's your dream speech. What are you talking about? Customers. Nice. Wearing customer shoes. Um, this might not, you know, this might not sound groundbreaking, but too many businesses, especially the larger ones, they don't really get their customer. They see their customer as a demographic, like a 20, 20 to 30 year old female married, da, 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 da. but that person is so much more than that. And I think just bringing that to life and going, look, it's not just a person they've got wants, they've got needs, they've got interests, really tapping into that person and finding out the, the, the earlier part of the journey in that person. Because if you think about how we search today, even before COVID, Life is very fragmented now. So I might start searching after we've had our podcast. I might start searching on my laptop for, I don't know, eco nappies or something, um, which was a talk I often talk about uh, the journey of me as a parent. And then I might jump on my phone. Like we're jumping on and off things all too mm-hmm. quickly and regularly. But too many businesses focus on someone that's looking to buy today. But we don't go straight online to be searching for today. We have thoughts and we think, oh, I wonder about this. And we might watch a YouTube video. We might listen to a podcast. There's too much of that earlier part of the journey it's not a funnel it's a you know a sort of a journey a horizontal journey where people jump on and off that's that's what people go oh yeah of course they do <laughs> that tends to get people thinking in a different way so how should businesses move from that funnel approach to the journey approach because i find that really fascinating i'm asking from a personal point of view i mean in the last uh, three four five years since russell brunson came through with with click funnels the whole world has been about funnels um, and about upsells and about, you know, all that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, we move into digital marketer with Ryan Dice talking about the customer journey value ladder and all that kind of stuff. But I love what you're talking about there where you're, you're bringing that, the message of a brand through a, into a person's life in, in, as you said, hop on and off, hop, hop on and off in a, in a linear system. How should businesses change their approach from the look at me, I'm so great, come and buy my thing today to this is who we are, this is what we do. What, what are the steps that they should take there? Um, The best step they could take is just listening to their customers and listening to what people are saying online. Um, And I'll just do a whistle-stop tour, if I may, of a journey that I went on because it just helps bring it to life. So I was lucky enough to become a mum two and a half years ago. Um, Being the person that I am, I didn't go to any of the kids' classes. I had no, like, I thought, I can Google it. I'll just Google it. I'll be fine. I'll work it out. I'll be fine. I'll work (laughs) it out along the way. So I did. Before Dylan was born... um, I literally just went to the supermarket, bought the cheapest nappies, got him home. Um, And in the first week, I opened my bin and went, oh, my God, this child is the most environmentally friendly thing on the planet. The amount of rubbish he was creating. And I'm not some sort of eco warrior, but I was totally like shocked by how much rubbish Mm. from nappies and stuff that a child creates. 
So I realized I had a problem, but I didn't know the solution. I had no idea there were eco nappies out there or anything. So what did I do? I went to the internet and I just started searching, saying how to be a more eco-friendly parent or what are the other options for nappies? So I had no brand awareness whatsoever, but I went in with a problem and I landed on a blog post. It wasn't from a brand. It was a blog post on a forum somewhere. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Then I left it for a couple of weeks because I was too busy. Then I came back and did a bit, you know, I was then had, okay, is this eco nappies or reusable nappies? So I was then aware, but I still had no brand awareness. So Mm. it's understanding, putting your customer's shoes on and thinking, if they're not aware of my brand, what problems are they going to have or what solutions are they trying to find? And how can I appear there? Because there's a huge amount of people searching there before they even get to the, you know, the raging intent. So thinking about that side of things. And then I became aware of natty, nat, eco, natty nappies or something. And I converted. Now I feel a bit better as a parent that I'm not creating each nappy like it's 400 years in some refuse somewhere. I'm feeling a bit more you know, eco-friendly about things now. Yeah. But it didn't come from, if someone targeted me, I had no intent at the time. Yeah. But it's only then when something happened that I was like, oh, okay, that sparked a thought. Then I searched on the internet. So, but I was not searching for eco-friendly nappies because I didn't even know they exist. Wow. So it's a very sort of a weird example. But no, 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 it makes sense that, though. So that, that happened to me. It makes sense. So uh, can I can I dissect that a little bit? Um, the brand that you ended up going whatever that brand was that you ended up clicking the purchase button, where in the story did they first appear? Can you remember? They appeared um, on someone else's blog post. Interesting. Banner ad? No, no. It was actually, you know, someone saying like, these are the options. So it was another parent. And this happens a lot because brands don't jump on that part of the journey where they could. And if you look at that brand, I think it's Eco Nappies. They have no they're not taking advantage of that. And I keep meaning to email him and saying, you should be doing blog posts about this because you would appear higher up the journey. But um, nine times out of 10, as humans, we have a problem with something. And some of us humans are very nice. And we, you know, put on a forum or a blog post about something. And so we're actually helping other people because that's our human instinct. But brands don't do that. And they don't get it. So it was early up in the chain. But I wasn't aware of the brand. I just found out that there were eco nappies. And then I started to do a bit digger deeping and I ended up on a forum where someone was saying there's this one, this one or this one. And then I happened to go in store and I saw it. I was like, oh, I'll buy that one. And now I buy them online or used to buy interesting, them Interesting, interesting. And a great lesson for anybody from a, from a company perspective that's listening and understanding how they can how they can enter the conversation much earlier in the buying journey. Because you're right, like we all, we all want that center of the target Right now, buyer, that's where, you know, majority of brands are throwing money to to spend on their advertising. But looking at that target moving in, if you can if you can get the information into the hands of your potential customers earlier in the process, your chances of conversions are going through the roof. So, I mean, it's not a new concept that we're talking about. We're, we're talking about content marketing and we're talking about delivering value, but with a very different perspective. And I love what you said earlier about do not sell. Because if, if your first encounter with that, that particular brand had been all about this is why we're the best and this is why you should buy our brand, I doubt very much that that would have swayed you that way when you're in a research phase. So actually selling in that content style would have been, would have been completely the wrong path. For that, for that particular part of the story. Fascinating. If you're listening to this, you're, you're on a treadmill somewhere, you're on a car, you know, thinking about marketing your brand, go back and listen to that last two minutes again, because I think you'll find some real gems there, Lindsay. Thank you. I appreciate that. So that's your dream speech. That's, you know, talking about customers and about 
wearing the customer's shoes, being able to see that from their from their perspective. What are the other topics that you find aren't spoken about enough in a marketing sense? Um probably conversion rate optimization obviously there's a lot around it like you know conversion optimization blah 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 but a lot of people come to us and say we want more business and I'm like okay well rather than getting more business from more traffic to your website how about we convert more of the business more of the traffic that's already coming to your website because surely that's going to be a more cost-effective way of doing things Mm. so I think conversion rate optimization and just understanding that obviously my point was don't sell but what I mean by don't sell is obviously don't go just blowing your own trumpet. But when people do come to your website, make sure they say yes to something. So whether it's yes to signing up to an email, but not just subscribe to our email, why, what value are you going to give? If you've got a blog post, have a clear call to action down the right hand side, but focus on them or focusing on their challenges. So probably CRO. So conversion rate optimization is something I still is not, is not talked about enough. Yeah. Interesting. Is it a, is it a graphical thing? Is it a headline copywriting thing? Is it a market message kind of thing? What's the, what's the big, big lever they can pull with uh, conversion rate optimization? I think it's feel free to tell me that they're all combined. Like I don't mind. Well, they are all combined. I think it's understanding the customer, their wants and their needs and understanding that people come to your website with different intents. So some people come to our website saying, I'm going to spend money today on a training course So they have lots of intent. And so they just want to get through the journey very quickly. Some people have no commercial intent to visit our website, but they just want to know how to do something. But it's understanding each one of those intents and making sure that the call to action is there for each one of those. But that could be the title of a blog post. It could be a webinar. It could be actually just asking the client to do something. Conversion optimization is so many different things. But I think people think, well, if they come to my website, they'll find out where the button is or they'll find my telephone number. Yes, we will. But there was a study carried out a few years ago where 10 people were given a credit card to our website. So they were given the money. So it's not a money thing. And they were told what to purchase a dress as example. Guess how many out of 10 Walt managed to purchase the dress? I am about to be shocked. Tell me that it was more than half at least. No. With a credit card in hand, three out of 10. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Wow. So anyone that's running uh, the kind of business where people can literally make a purchase then and there, they can make a commitment. If it's an opt into a webinar, book an appointment, whatever your specific call to action is, remember that statistic that with credit card in hand and told what to buy, only three out of 10 managed to actually perform that transaction. Have a look at your website, people, and find out if there's an easy way. Something you mentioned there, Lindsay, that I I just want to hone in on for a second, if I can. Um, You mentioned that people coming to the website with different intent So some are looking for information, some are looking to purchase, and you're putting together a call to action to speak to each one of those. So you're literally making sure that you're capturing them at the point of whatever they're looking for, not just a buy button, but if they're looking for information, your your call to action might be as simple as directing them to that particular piece of information that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we want people to sign up to our email or sign up to us in some shape or form but even if they've got what they wanted from our website they could still be then talking to their friends or their colleagues and going this company's really good and we've had people we had a client that signed up recently he attended one of our free talks six years ago um he he attended one of our free talks six years ago then went did some stuff himself used various freelancers contacted me in the high height of um covid and said Lindsay, you probably don't remember and i went i remember everybody um he said i really need your help um, so clearly he'd remembered that we've given him really good value six years ago, wow. um, but he didn't for whatever reason thought I can do this myself. And has been very successful, but came to us with a problem and said, 
my website is slowly um, is just getting slower and slower. There's a competitor that's come up from um, from nowhere. I really sort this out, and I know you guys can do it. So literally, I sent him a proposal. Wow. Within half an hour, he phoned back and went, yep, do it. Within two weeks, he saw all that revenue come back. So <laughs> thinking about it from that, it's not always about getting them to sign up for something. Don't get me wrong. When you read our blog down the right-hand side, it will say, if you've enjoyed this sign up, what's your challenge? But don't be frightened of always trying to get them to actually give you data. If you give them value, they won't forget you. Nice. I love it. Great message. Great message. Lindsay, I'm, I'm so conscious of your time and so grateful for it. I very rarely get a chance to speak to other podcast hosts. Why did you start the podcast? Um, it's a good question. Um, we've been wanting <laughs> to start a podcast for years, um, but it's always the way we're not, you know, we're too busy looking after clients rather than looking after our own stuff. <laughs> um, and, but I'm a big fan of podcasts. I listen to them, you know, normally I'm traveling every other week. So I probably listen to anywhere between 10 and 20 hours worth of podcasts a week. And I know that if you're not podcasting and not doing video content, if you're only blogging, you're only you're missing two thirds of your audience because mm. some people like to watch, some people like to listen, some people like to read. And we knew that our content was really valuable. So we were like, we've got to sort this out. So we kicked our butts and got it underway March, Feb, March this year. Fantastic. And, and again, looking at your podcast guests, it's been uh, pretty impressive for, for me personally. And again, just talking from a content marketing point of view, I've, I've run our company for the last 12 years and um, the, the, the thought or the, the, the mandate of you have to be creating good content for your customers and for your potential customers has been with me forever. Um, but it wasn't really until I, I suddenly said, hey, how about I get other people and have a conversation and kind of make that into the content that it really started to, to form an incredible um, <laughs> swell for me. Like it was just so great to be able to create content for our customers and for our potential customers. And in a manner of learning as I go, meeting amazing people, like I'm, I'm being the biggest podcast advocate <laughs> forever right now. Like just go and get started, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, do you recommend to all of your clients, no matter what industry they are, to do something along that interactive line of content? I mean, not just blogging. Are you getting them on videos and webinars and podcasts and doing all that sort of stuff? Um, obviously in an ideal world, we would recommend it not for every single business. You know, it's not right for every single business. And actually I did a YouTube live yesterday talking about podcasting as a subject it's like the podcast 101. Um, because people think, Oh, it's too technical. My audience aren't on there. Um, there's a really good tool. If you think your audience are not listening to podcasts, then go to spark Toro. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, well, but go to spark Toro, put your website in and it will tell you what podcasts your audience, your website audience are listening to. And that will wow. help decide whether you should be doing it or not. We do ask people to do content because if you're not doing content, Google doesn't like you, Bing yeah. doesn't like you, and your audience are only going to come if they're actually focused on, like, I want to book social media training today. But as we've discussed today, people are looking for so much other content and that comes with video content, podcast content, blog content. So you can't, you can't be successful online without content. No, opinion. absolutely true. Do you, do you uh, emphasize the need to publish across all channels? I mean, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. I mean, uh, is there a, a need to be across all of those for, for the brands? No. Interesting. <laughs> um, I, would, I would suggest not. I always say fish in the ponds where your biggest audience is, but also as a caveat to that, understand what they're doing on a channel. And I had this discussion when I was training we do a lot of training for digital agencies and upskilling their teams. And I was training an agency over the last five weeks. And um, there's a group of girls that I'm training at the moment. They're in their young 20s. And I said, what platforms are you on? They're like, we're all over TikTok. Of course you are. 
Um, and I said, what do you want to know about TikTok? And they said, well, our managers asked us if we should be doing TikTok advertising for our clients. And I said, okay, well, let's look at the TikTok audience. The TikTok audience is very young, people like yourself. Um, how do you guys use TikTok? And they said, we don't go down the strings. We get fed up with ads. We just use it for private chat. I said, well, there's your answer. <laughs> so go on the channel where your audience is, but don't just do that. Ask people that are on those channels, obviously the various age demographics and go, how do you use it? And then if they use it and, you know, if they do use the streams, then great. If they don't, then you're barking up the wrong tree. So yeah. I say be on the right channels where your audience is and they're actually using the channel the way that they should be that you're actually going to I love seen. it. Lindsay, this is like an MBA in, in marketing. And <laughs> I'm going to go back through with my notepad and make sure I'm taking notes as, as, um, as I'm re-listening. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and talk about one of your favorite subjects and, and something that I'm amazed by, by your depth of knowledge. And, you know, to be able to put this together and, and build these for this kind of strategies for these companies is, is really incredible for me. Um, so in, in addition to your website, which is socialb, the letter B, socialb.co.uk, which we'll make sure is in the show notes for people. How can people keep up with you on social? What, what's your publishing platform of choice? Um, probably my publishing uh, channel of choice, but more importantly, my target audience. Most of them are on LinkedIn. So yeah. come and look for me on LinkedIn. Always more than happy to have a chat. And if anyone has any questions, I might be busy, but I always say I'm never too busy to answer any questions. So if you have any questions or anything specific, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn um, or Twitter, Lindsay Sweels. Um, more than happy to take any questions, even jump on a chat, um, you know, a live chat occasionally if people want, if need some, people need some help. Fantastic. And when I was doing the research there, I noticed that uh, you're advertising your, your free webinars there. You're talking to people about their marketing. It's a great way for people to upskill by, by literally connecting with you and connecting with Social B on the platforms. Again, we'll make sure those links are in the social, uh, in our uh, show notes as well. Lindsay, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and talk marketing with you. I've loved it. Um, I wish you all the very best of success. I'm, I'm excited to see where you guys are going and adding more and more brand names to that incredible track record that you've uh, already developed and hearing all the success stories of the people that have been through the courses with you as well. I think that's a fantastic uh, thing that you're doing. You're creating the skill sets, not only keeping it to yourself, but giving that to companies so that they can go and take control of their own stories moving forward. Again, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and chat. I've really enjoyed it. I wish you all the very best. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, Walt. Thank you. Cheers, Lindsay. Thanks. Bye. Hey, everyone. It's Walt. And thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you. And I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there. So you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing, on iTunes. Head over there now. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.